So today's scripture readings are excellent, but obviously there's a lot going on in the world, so I'm going to avoid the scripture readings. I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened this week, what I think is happening in the spiritual, and what's going on. I'm going to do it through the judges, specifically one judge, Samson. My father said to me, ooh, three, four years ago, when Mr. Trump was early in his presidency, that Donald Trump reminded him a lot of Samson. You look at the life of Samson, he's got a lot of similarities to Mr. Trump. He's a big guy, big, burly man, a little too into the ladies, refuses to drink. Mr. Trump is a teetotaler, as was Samson. He's got funny hair, does have some problems with self-control, a little bit of a temper, but he's put in a position of power to save the people. And it's, it's so on the nose that I think it works. And that's because God works in patterns. The old saying from my history class is, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. So I'd like you to think back towards Samson. Samson, of course, had tremendous success defending the people of God from their adversaries against them. So has Mr. Trump. He's brought peace to the Middle East by defending the people of God. He has been a man who has defended our freedoms here locally in the United States. He has been an excellent judge of the people. Not in the sense of judicial, which it turns out he's actually put some pretty good judges in office, but in the sense of a leader of the people. But that's not what Samson's most famous for. It's not what he's known and celebrated for. Uh, the modern Israelis, there's a rumor that they call their nuclear program Samson. And the reason is because not of its strength, but its purpose. The rumor is that the Israeli nuclear program is a last strike weapon, not a first strike weapon. That if there's ever an attack that looks like it is going to overwhelm Israeli defenses, they will destroy their enemies with nuclear fire. Not to win the war, but as a threat in case anybody thinks that they can break them. It doesn't exist to win a war. It exists to destroy an enemy who thinks he has won. I was watching the election results last Tuesday, as I'm sure many of you were, and at first I was pretty excited. Hey, things look like they're going well. But by the end of the night, oh, we stayed awake until uh, Colorado's results came in. It had become clear to me that the election had not gone the way that I would want it to go, uh, both here locally in Colorado and in nationwide. I looked at the math and I said, boy, if the mail-in votes come in the way I think that they will, it looks like Mr. Trump has lost this election. I sat down and discussed the results and observed them uh, with the most important group of people in the world, which is to say insane right-wingers on the internet. I am becoming more and more convinced that they've shaved Samson. That isn't to say it isn't a, a large mistake to fail. Samson would have been a much more effective judge had he not allowed himself to be shaved. It doesn't mean that deception and malice weren't used by the enemy. Deception and fraud were in fact used by the Philistines in order to capture Samson. But a narrow victory in an overextended position can actually destroy you. What happened to the Philistines who captured Samson? 
They brought him in. They mocked him. We finally beat you, who has been a thorn in our side for these last four years. We've got you. We get to mock you now. You're a loser and you've lost. Does that sound like what's happening right now? I don't know if you saw, right before the service started, an alert came up on my phone. The Associated Press has declared the winner of the election, as if that was the role of the Associated Press. But they may, in fact, be correct. The court challenges going back and forth, we'll, we'll see. Like I said, it doesn't mean that fraud wasn't used. doesn't mean that Mr. Trump couldn't have done things better to make sure that he couldn't have been shaved here. But that looks like the results. So I'm not going to belabor what happened to the Philistines, but I'm going to talk a little bit about what's coming out of this election. And I'm going to give you some means for hope. The United States is a gerontocracy. Most of you probably remember it. I learned it through history. The late Soviet Union under Brezhnev. The United States used to mock the gerontocracy of Brezhnev. The Soviet Union had shown itself to be decrepit, fragile, unable to respond to the new challenges that the 70s and 80s would bring. Joe Biden is the oldest man ever elected president to the United States. He's a sprightly 77. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, is slightly older. He's 78. The Speaker of the House is Nancy Pelosi. She's 80 and has held her seat since I was the same age as my daughter. The House Democratic leadership averages 72 years old across all of their leadership. Brezhnev's stagnation in the Soviet Union averaged 69. Had Trump won, these institutions might have understood that they needed youth and agility to win. They might have changed their course. Perhaps that would be better than what's coming, but perhaps not. A young and vital enemy is a lot more dangerous than an old and decrepit one. If the young reformers had taken over the Soviet Union in the 70s and 80s, they would have been a far more dangerous adversary for us. Winning the Cold War would have been a lot more difficult. I suspect we're in the middle of a realignment in the world. And facing a realignment against old and decrepit opponents is the way you want to do it. When Ronald Reagan realigned the world in 1980, the fact that, as he joked, Soviet leaders kept dying on him and it made it very difficult to negotiate, was part of the reason that the Soviet Union couldn't effectively respond to his reactions. And here's another thing. Trump, like Samson, was a bit flawed. The saying is it took Nixon to go to China. It took Barry Goldwater to bring uh, conservative policies to the mainstream. but. I want to remind you that neither of them were, in the end, terribly effective ambassadors of either of those brands. I like Donald Trump, but he is a boorish billionaire real estate developer from Queens. He has a thin skin, a massive ego, turns off a lot of people who are conservative-leaning because of that abrasive, rough personality. Nobody but Donald Trump could have brought those policies to the mainstream. It took those personality traits to bust through the scleroic Republican establishment. But having done that, having forged that path, that position may be better served by the young, energetic, thinking men who have followed behind him. Men like Tom Cotton, 
men like Ron DeSantis, men like Ted Cruz, who have followed behind Trump, who have supported him, but who have the youth and energy and maybe a bit less boorish queensness in order to do that. So here are some positive things that are going to come out of this election. First, the leaders of the Democrat Party are the nearly non-functional, inept, plagiarist Joe Biden and the unlikable, terminally liberal, unpopular Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris could not break 1% in the Democrat primary. Even Democrats can't stand Kamala Harris. Joe Biden's polls actually dropped when he selected her. That never happens when you pick a VP candidate. If I were picking the opponents I had to fight against ideologically for the next 10 years, I don't know that I could pick better ones. Secondly, the modern American system has been shaken to the core. The media and the universities were the foundations of the post-war system. They were the non-ideological arbiters of the world and they've been exposed. They have come out using every tool that they have to shave Samson. And I think that they're going to see that the moral authority that they've built up over the past 60 years, 70 years, has been all spent on a victory that's going to prove Pyrrhic. Thirdly, Trump has been an ambassador to unlikely people. The Trump message reached non-white Americans to a degree that the old Republicans never could. Hispanics voted for him in record numbers. He got more Hispanic votes than any American Republican has ever gotten. He is the first Republican since Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge had a Native American vice president. I don't know if you guys knew that. But he's the first Republican since Calvin Coolidge to win Native Americans. And because of that, number four, the message of doom I've heard all my life about changing demography, dooming the Republican Party, has been totally debunked. The most safely Republican major state in the Union was not, as expected, Texas, but in fact, the wildly diverse state of Florida. Because Trump dominated among Hispanics up and down Florida. He didn't just win with the Cubans in Miami. He won with Cubans in Miami. He won with Puerto Ricans in Central Florida. He won with blacks in the Panhandle. He showed America that the new message of the GOP was possible to win with all, old Americans and new. It's at the point where, after the election, the Florida Democrats said, we need to stop spending money here. It's just wasting our money. Fifth, despite really bad top-line results, and this is one of the reasons that were I President Trump, I would not rule out fraud, Looking deeper in many states reveals that we've still got a strong undercurrent of liberty. In New Hampshire, which went blue for Joe Biden, Republicans took the state house, took the state senate, took the governorship. In California, the deepest blue state in the nation, they rejected affirmative action by almost 10 points. They stood up for the idea that all Americans are created equal. I didn't see that coming. I honestly did not shocked me when those results came out. Even in Colorado, despite some disappointments in the people of our state, 
We decided to lower taxes. We restricted the ability of government to raise money through fees. And we held strong on several victories at the lower level. I'm obviously disappointed by some of our referenda here. But for the most part, even Colorado's referenda were pretty solid victories. And the last thing that I'd like you to be encouraged about is the Tenth Amendment. Everybody here knows what the Tenth Amendment is. All other rights not included in this Constitution are reserved for the states. I liked Mr. Trump, but he was probably the worst president for Tenth Amendment jurisprudence we've had. The reason for that is when he made an executive order, Republican states went along with it because that's what they wanted to do. And Democrat states went along with it because they wanted to increase executive power. And Donald Trump was a good president who put good executive orders in place. But that increase in executive power was a major weakness of his presidency. I'll tell you, if Joe Biden puts out a bad executive order, boy, Texas, Florida, those places aren't going to stand for that. And they're going to take it to the courts. And they're going to say, under our Tenth Amendment rights, we're going to ignore Joe Biden because he made a bad executive order. He's promised, for example, to make an executive order about guns, saying that all assault rifles need to be registered under the National Firearms Act. I'll tell you it's going to be about 10 seconds till the state of Texas says, nah, not going to do that. I think that, like the Philistines, the Democrats are going to find that the presidency is going to fall on their heads. It's going to be pulled down. Allowing those freedoms to be pulled back from the federal government to our states is going to allow a massive increase in American freedom. Not just in states that are controlled by freedom-loving people like Texas and Florida, but it's going to allow it across other states because they're not going to be able to restrict those. The advantage that places like California have always had is that they can count on the federal government to backstop them if they run out of money because people keep fleeing their state. That's no longer going to be possible with Tenth Amendment jurisprudence. It's going to force states like California, states like New York, to come back and examine what they're doing and to come back to an understanding of our Constitution that makes sense. So don't despair. I would understand if you're an Israeli sitting back in the day and you've heard that the Philistines have just captured your judge who has been the only person winning victories and beating them back. It would be really tempting to say, oh my goodness, we're going to get overrun by Philistines. We can't hold them back anymore. Look at this huge victory that they've won. I don't know the results yet. The AP could certainly be wrong. That's happened before. And don't get me wrong, I'm going to continue to pray that they are. That Samson is still out there fighting them with the jaw of an ass. But I'm also going to look at it and understand God's plan is a lot deeper and wiser than ours. And if God is going to let them shear Samson's hair, he might know something that we don't. So don't allow yourself to give in to despair. Go about your life. I saw a wonderful 12-step plan to dealing with bad election results on the internet. Step one, go plan your garden for next spring. Step two, go hug your wife and have a nice beer. Step three, buy a new wood plane. 
make a table. Step five through 12, go about your life. You're not gonna be able to change the federal government, but you are going to be able to live your life. Don't let this break your faith in God, break your walk in God, and break your ability to see the world around you. Don't give in to doom. Instead, trust God. Trust him that even if Samson's hair is shorn, the Philistines' temple will fall all about them.